Something to note, all myths and legends have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Japanese stories and traditions. Our tellings may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. A warning, today's myth contains dramatizations and discussions of animal cruelty, insects, mortality, graphic violence, family abuse, and fratricide. Please exercise caution for all listeners under 13. Onamuchi raced through the forest, trying to make as little noise as possible. He could hear the sounds of his 80 brothers crashing through the brush behind him. They were getting closer, and if they caught him, they would kill him again. First they crushed me with a boulder, and then they smashed me inside a log. I'd hate to see what they try next. Onamuchi's brothers had never treated him like an equal, but their relationship had taken a dark turn since he married the princess of Inaba. They had murdered him twice. Each time, his mother had managed to bring him back to life, but Onamuchi wasn't sure how many times that was going to work. Just as Onamuchi was starting to think he couldn't run anymore, he spotted a massive tree with a large gap in its roots. He dove to the ground and scrambled under the tree, hiding himself beneath it. Not a moment later, Onamuchi watched as his brothers raced past. Their feet pounded over the ground mere inches from his face before continuing into the forest. When Onamuchi was sure they were gone, he started to drag himself out. What am I going to do? I can't run from them forever. If only there was somewhere I could go where they would never find me. Onamuchi felt the ground start to shift beneath him. He lunged forward and just managed to grab a root before the earth gave way beneath him. The ground beneath the tree had collapsed, forming a cavernous sinkhole that seemed to stretch on forever. That was too close. A little to the left and I could have added bottomless pit to my... The root in Onamuchi's hand snapped and he tumbled backward into darkness. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we'll continue with the unlikely Shinto hero, Onamuchi, as he takes his steps towards greatness. Last week, Onamuchi's act of kindness earned him a kingdom and the ire of his 80 older brothers. This week, we'll follow him to the world beneath our world, a home of decay and rot, occupied by the great Kami of Chaos, Suzano. 
Coming up, we'll discover the force that's been hunting Onamuchi. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem. Of a detour. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Onamuji wasn't sure how long he'd been out. The sinkhole had dropped deep into the earth. The impact had knocked him unconscious, and he'd eventually awakened to find himself inside of a dark, cavernous tunnel. The walls of the hole he'd fallen through were completely smooth, making climbing out impossible. There was nothing to do but follow the tunnel and see where it led. The problem was, the tunnel seemed to lead down. The air grew colder, wetter as he descended. Onamuchi passed the decaying remains of moldering fruit and animals, breaking down further and further as the soil grew darker. Finally, the tunnel emptied into a cavernous space. The air was putrid, and the earth beneath his feet was rich and soft. Onamuchi looked up and saw the roots of the great tree dangling from the ceiling. Suddenly, he knew where he was. This was Nenokuni, the world beneath the world, the land of roots. Appropriate name. A fortress rose before him, built of the same dark earth that squished beneath his feet. Only the great doors were solid, covered with rust. Or at least he hoped it was rust. Their wet sheen suggested it could be blood. Hello? Gears creaked somewhere in the bowels of the fortress as the door swung slowly open. A strange hissing reached his ears. At first, it seemed to be a rush of air from the courtyard. Then he saw them. All manner of centipedes, beetles, and maggots poured up and over the entranceway, glittering black, crimson red, and deathly white. Some were small, flowing like a river, others the size of small dogs. Onamuji stifled a scream, frozen in terror, but the insects ignored him, vanishing into the earth one after the other. Perhaps they were looking for larger prey. When the horror had passed, 
Onamuchi took stock of his surroundings, stepping forward tentatively. He entered a vast and empty courtyard, broken up by six stone pillars. A strange white moss covered nearly every surface. Shadows scuttled over the earthen walls. Onamuji shivered in the cold. Hello? The courtyard was unnervingly silent. Even the twitching and tunneling of the insects in the walls seemed frozen. Onamuji heard something twitch and flutter in the darkness, but when he turned to look, he saw nothing. He waited, breath held in the silence. Then he heard an unexpected sound from behind the farthest pillar. (laughs) Was that a human voice? Onamuji felt his heart flutter at the sound of it, but reminded himself that he couldn't be sure in a place like this. For all he knew, it was a horrible trick. Perhaps a monster who used a woman's voice to lure victims to their deaths. Onamuji scanned the underground courtyard and spotted a shadow creeping out from behind the farthest pillar. Hello? Who's there? There were whispers of a man venturing here. I did not expect one so young. Few ever enter Nanukuni. Those who do have been old and worn, driven down by their problems in the world above. Then perhaps I do belong here. Oh no, you can't possibly be so dour. You look like the fox pup in spring who rejoices at the end of the snow. See how your cheeks turn red? Not the mark of a weary man, I think. Onamuchi felt blood rush to his face. The mysterious woman was clearly taunting him. He rounded the pillar, catching a glimpse of a white robe and dark eyes before she disappeared around the other side. If I look that way, it is only because your beauty has overwhelmed me. The woman peered out from behind the pillar. Onamuji's eyes landed on hers. She was beautiful, not a monster at all. Perhaps I'm as clever as the fox. I got you to show yourself. Or am I the one who lured you into a trap? Only one way to find out. Why don't you tell me about those horrible troubles weighing you down? Maybe I can help. It's a rather unique problem. My brothers keep killing me. They don't seem to be very good at it. Just the opposite, I'm afraid. My mother has twice implored Kamimusuhi to bring me back to life. I do not think it will work forever. I had hoped to give her some peace of mind, but instead, I went and got myself trapped down here. Well, at least you're interesting. I don't know many people who can say they've died twice. What's your name? Onamuchi. I'm Suseri Bime. Lady Bold? Your parents gave you an ambitious name. I'm an ambitious person, and my father is rather bold himself. No doubt he thought my name would inspire me to be more like him. Perhaps you've heard of him? His name is Suzano. Suzano. Of course, Onamuji had heard of the great trickster, the tempestuous god of storms. Susano was an old and powerful kami, 
son of the first couple, brother to the sun goddess Amaterasa. His troublemaking had gotten him banished from the world above. It seemed the rumors that he lived here in Neno Kuni were accurate. Onamuji had been told that he was a distant descendant of Suzano's, but he'd never dreamed that he might actually meet his ancestor. Under ordinary circumstances, he would have strongly preferred not to. But these were not ordinary circumstances. Please, my lady, if you would help me, grant me an audience with your father. You want to meet my father? You realize it's his realm you're trespassing in, and he's not exactly the most understanding kami. Susano is so sly, he can escape any problem. If anyone can help me escape death at my brother's hands, it's him. Please, I need to remove this burden from my mother's shoulders. Now, Suseri had heard many requests over the years, but few people came with such gentleness in their words. She could tell that Onamuchi was sincere. He wanted to spare his mother the hardship of losing a son. All right, I'll bring your request to him, but I cannot guarantee that he will say yes. Really? Overwhelmed with excitement and gratitude, Onamuchi picked up Suseri and spun her around. A moment later, he remembered himself and released her. She looked flustered, but not as furious as he would have expected. Forgive me, dear lady. I should not have done that. I quite forgot myself. <sighs> Ask first next time. Next time? Suseri Bime smiled as the great doors groaned and began to swing open. She turned away and walked toward the widening gap. Should I follow you? Unless you prefer to wait here, though the spiders will be coming by soon. Right. Onamuchi had been stealing himself for what the inner sanctuary of Suzano would look like, but still felt a chill at the sight. The lights were nearly swallowed up by the damp earth, making the building feel more like a warren than a castle. Rotting corpses lined the path, standing upright like fetid statues. Onamuchi held his breath until they entered Suzano's dark chambers. The great Kami Suzano did not seem to notice their entrance. He was seated on a sodden cushion, watching a nest of snakes slithering in a depression in the floor. His wild, dark hair was flecked with white and gray, but he still wore it long like a younger Kami. Suzano placed a mouse among the snakes and watched as the serpents converged on it. The mouse darted for freedom, twitched and squealed and struggled, but it was outnumbered. <laughs> Father, you have a visitor. Tell them I'm busy. He... Uh, if you would hear him out, he is not like the others. He is alive, and he has a good reason for his request. I doubt it, but the mice are not putting up much of a fight today. Perhaps he will prove more entertaining. Suzano looked up and fixed Onamuchi with a steely gaze. He did not blink, 
even as a centipede scuttled across his chest and back into his robes. Onamuchi felt the reassuring weight of Suseri's hand vanish. He stepped forward and bowed. Lord of Storms, Kami of Chaos, Grower and Destroyer, I seek your wisdom, should you deem me worthy of it. My brothers desire my death. Twice now they've killed me. I am only alive through the grace of Kami Musuhi. If it pleases you, I desperately need your advice. I'll admit, I have not heard your sort of request before. My daughter seems to think you are deserving of help, but I'm not so sure. I wonder, can you convince me? Will you allow me to test your metal? I will submit to any test you require. Suzano stood and gestured for Suseri Bime and Onamuchi to follow him through another doorway. They walked in a procession with Suzano at the front and Onamuji in back. Suseri did not look at Onamuji. He could hear her whispering to her father, but he could not tell what she was saying. They passed even more mounted corpses. Onamuji clenched his jaw, determined not to show any fear. His brothers always took advantage of his unease, and he was sure the trickster god himself would be no different. He tried to turn his focus to the strangeness of his surroundings. Crumbling scrolls lined the walls. Flecks of rotting paper hovered in the air, drifting softly to the ground like snow. It wasn't just the look of the place that was strange. The air tasted fetid. The sound had an uncanny quality to it. There was a soft choir of whispers that seemed to carry from all around him. Suzano stood abruptly. He turned and two corpses were suddenly swallowed up by the dark earth. The dirt drew back like a curtain to reveal a dark space just beyond. The great Kami stepped through the mysterious door as the whispers grew louder. Suseri Bime did not follow immediately. She turned to Onamuchi and pulled a green scarf from her robes. This is the only protection I can offer you. You cannot be my husband if you are dead. Husband? You truly are bold, my lady. I am already married to the princess of Inaba. So you're a king? I suppose. Kings can do as they wish. So I will be your next wife. Next wife? Suseri was gone in the next instant following her father. Onamuchi took the scarf and tucked it underneath his robes. With his mother in his thoughts, he followed them. The room had no decoration or furniture. There was no scrap of fabric or cushion for him to rest his head on. Suzano looked at him expectantly. Onamuji felt as though he'd already failed whatever test had been laid in front of him. I've slept on the ground before. Oh, dear boy. You haven't figured it out yet. Listen closer. Father, this is amusing to no one but you. Very well. Suzano whistled softly. This time it was not the walls that moved, but the floor. 
A panel slid out of place and the whispers grew louder. Onamuji looked down into the newly bare patch of floor to see a swirling mass of brightly colored coils. Horror washed over him. This challenge was much more devious than anything his brothers could have devised. These are my most esteemed friends, Onamuji. Their bite is a work of art. One small drop of poison ends a life. Spend the night sleeping in their den, and if you can greet me at the end of it, I will counsel you. Is that agreeable? As he stared down at the pit of serpents, Onamuchi knew he had no choice, but he was sure this death would be far worse than being crushed by a boulder. Coming up next, Onamuchi's faith is tested. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. What happened if you died in the netherworld? Onamuji wasn't sure. He had vague memories of his previous deaths. He remembered floating in a space he couldn't define, becoming one with the whole of existence. But being crushed by a tree or a flaming boulder was very different from a snake pit owned by Suzano himself. If these snakes killed him, would he return to that universal oneness? Or would he stay in the land of roots forever? Will you accept my challenge, Onimuji? Will you sleep in this bed of serpents? If that is what you wish. Onamuji adjusted the scarf Suseri Bime had given him and delicately lowered one foot into the pit. The snakes retreated but showed no signs of fear, studying him as he stepped down completely. He looked up at his host, who smiled with dirt-encrusted teeth. Get comfortable, my boy. You have a long night ahead of you. A good point, Lord of Storms. Onamuji lowered himself to the ground. The snakes parted further still. He let out a sigh of relief. Perhaps the scarf was magic. He took a deep breath as the stone above his head began to swallow up the light from above. The last thing he saw was Suseri's eyes. They glistened with tears of hope and fear. He was surprised by how much they moved him. Sleep well, Onamuji. Then everything went dark. Onamuji struggled to slow his breathing in the confined space. He felt within his robes for the scarf and was stunned to discover that it glowed with a soft green light. He rubbed the glittering fabric between his fingers, wondering what sort of magic Suseri Bime had given him. The snakes began to move. 
They slithered and slunk towards him. Onamuji froze. He felt cold snakeskin brush along his forearm as one of them explored his sleeve. He took deep, slow breaths as it searched for warmth. A sudden movement could be the end of him. Then he heard the mamushi. A pit viper was coiled less than a foot from his right ear. It hissed in challenge. Onamuchi could tell by the electricity in the air that it was preparing to strike. The viper lunged, fangs wet with venom. Onamuji flinched, the scarf rose and fell in his hand, leaving a faint trail of light behind it. The animal stopped immediately. Onamuji blinked and looked to his trembling hands, which still clutched the scarf. Each time he shook, the viper moved ever so slightly, hypnotized. A different hiss came from his other side. He flicked the scarf intentionally this time. Its eyes followed. Another viper rose at his feet. He flicked it again. That one froze, watching him. Onamuji took a deep breath, stealing himself for the long night ahead. He might not get a wink of sleep, but he would greet Suzano in the morning and have his answer. He let the hours pass him by until finally he heard the click of the floor moving. Onamuji raised his eyes to the ceiling, still waving the scarf for his life. The stone pulled away. Suzano's eerie grin appeared and then fell a moment later when the Lord of Storms caught sight of Onamuji. You're still alive. That I am, and quite grateful for the night of rest. Oh, magnificent Lord of Decay, pestilence and poison. Flattery will not get you out of your next test. Esteemed Elder, you agreed to give me advice if I survive the night. And I will keep my word so long as you survive the following challenge. With that, the great Suzano retired to his games. Onamuji was rare to anger. Anytime he'd acted on it, he'd been quickly punished by his brothers. Yet he couldn't help feeling frustrated that Suzano had tricked him. He climbed out of the pit. How quickly you throw away my gifts. Onamuji looked up to find the root princess standing in the corner of the room. Her smile was warm, and she was laughing at him. He looked back down into the pit to see the cause. The green scarf she had given him was now covered by a pile of curious snakes. I wasn't... Uh, it was just that I needed... Uh, you're right. I'm sorry. I have many more scarves, Onamuji but you'd do well to be less distracted. I do not know what my father is planning. He sang this morning. My father never sings. He enjoyed your bravery. Well, at least he's enjoying himself. If he would just give me the answer like he promised, I could leave this putrid world of decay. Is my home so appalling to you? I didn't mean, it's just, a rotted palace of dirt and corpses can't be a suitable home for one like you. If you wished it, I would gladly take you with me when I leave. If this place is rotted, I am rotted, Onomuji. I meant no offense, Lady Bold. 
Don't call me that. Without another word, Suseri turned and stormed off. Onamuchi was on his own. Suzano did not comment on his daughter's absence, but as he walked Onamuchi out of the palace, Onamuchi detected a spring in the Chaos Lord's step. Suzano brought him to a broad and open cavern. Yellowing and speckled, tall grass was growing from the earth, and a canopy of roots formed the sky to this impossible field. The Lord of Storms held his great bow aloft. He shot an arrow upwards, arcing it over the field. It landed in the very center, barely visible in the dim torchlight. Your task is simple. Retrieve the arrow. Onamuji squinted into the gloom. It seemed easy enough, as long as he didn't trip. He stepped gingerly out into the dry grass and headed towards the arrow. Where are my manners? We don't want you to lose your footing in the dark. How about some light? Suzano touched his torch to the yellow grass. It ignited in an instant, fire spreading in all directions. Within moments, Onamuji was surrounded by a swiftly shrinking ring of flame. Onamuchi didn't have time to process yet another betrayal. He ran for the arrow as the fire closed in around him. But as he drew close to the center of the field, he realized there was no hope of reaching it. More so, there was no hope for escape if he could claim it. Suddenly, Onamuchi heard a small squeaking sound. He looked down and was surprised to find a tiny mouse standing at his feet. It scurried around in circles, stopping occasionally to look up at him while squeaking incessantly. What is it? Are you trying to tell me something? Onamuchi knew he didn't have much time, but he could use all the help he could get. He knelt and reached out a hand for the mouse. It hopped into his palm and he lifted it to his ear. When it squeaked again, he found that he could understand it. Inside, it is vacant and void. Outside, it is slim and slender. Well, what does that mean? I'm already failing one test. I don't have time for riddles. There's a hole beneath my feet? Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? Onamuchi didn't have time to wonder if taking advice from a mouse was a good idea. The ring of fire was now so close he could feel its heat licking him. He lifted a foot and stomped as hard as he could. The earth shifted beneath him. It fell away and he fell too, just as the fire closed in. Onamuchi landed in the soft earth. It was a surprisingly large burrow, deserted by whatever creature had made it. He looked back up to see the flames raging above. He was safe. The mouse scampered up to him. <laughs> it seems I owe you my life, little friend. You don't happen to know a hare, do you? <sighs> Never mind. I don't suppose you could have taken me somewhere I could get out of. Don't look at me that way. 
I am grateful, but I am still stuck. And I failed Susano's test, too. A group of baby mice slid in behind the small creature, bearing a slightly chewed arrow. Onamuji could hardly believe his eyes. Susano's arrow? How? Thank you. Thank you. He held the arrow close to his chest as the fire ran its course. When the smoke had dissipated, Onamuji emerged from the cinders. He did his best to look humble and mysterious as he bowed at Susano's feet, presenting the arrow. Well, well, you survive unscathed once again. I see now why your brothers had so much trouble dispatching you. I'm so impressed. I'm sure my final test will give you no trouble at all. Father, you promised. Onamuchi's heart leapt, for Suseri Bime had rejoined them. You wound me, daughter. I promised I would help our visitor if he passed my test. It just happens to be a three-part test. I think that's perfectly reasonable, but if he wants to give up when he's so close... No, I keep my word. I will complete your last test. Good. Susano turned and vanished into the earthen fortress, leaving them alone. Princess, I am sorry for what I said earlier. I have something to show you. She slipped her hand into his and walked with him into the darkness. The rotting corpses that dotted the earth became more and more infrequent, breaking down before his eyes, rolling with insects and maggots. They walked until Onamuji saw a small green light at the end of the tunnel. Suseri tugged him toward the source of this light, a tiny bed of glowing mushrooms. These are the Hatonohi. They offer my aunt Amaterasu's light, even in my father's dark lands. As much as they hate each other, her work is born from his, and his is born from hers. You are frightened of decay because of what it means for you. But nothing is truly gone, only transformed. I wish I knew what I was supposed to transform into. I try to do the right thing. But my brothers caused so much destruction. If it wasn't them, it would be someone else. The world is unpredictable to the point of... of pointlessness. There is value in chaos, Onomuji. Chaos is how things grow. That is why there are storm and fire, Kami. They clear the way for good people like you to clean up the mess. My father is not as evil as you think. Perhaps he's been trying to teach you all along. Onamuchi considered this. He never wanted to be like his brothers, to lie or cheat or do harm just because he could. But they were listened to and obeyed. They hid their motives and got what they wanted as a result. Perhaps not everything about his brothers was wrong. A king needed to be wily as well as noble. What is the next task? He'll want you to pick lice from his head. Lice? That's all? That's all you have to do. But the lice will not be the only thing on his head. Onamuji swallowed, 
The old commie had snakes in his bed and insects in his robes. Who could guess what horrors lived within his hair? Up next, Onamuji gets up close and personal with the Kami of Chaos. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now back to the story. I don't think I can do it. You can. I believe in you. You survived my father's first two challenges. You can survive this one. Hiding from a fire and charming snakes are very different from personal grooming. If I try any tricks, he'll know. I'm not deceitful like my brothers. I can't be something I'm not. You don't have to be something you're not. You just have to look like you are. Onamuji wasn't sure he believed Suseri, but then he remembered all his brothers' cruel jokes. Their lewdness and willful confidence, they reminded him of Suzano. And that gave him an idea. Princess Suseri, if I give you a list of supplies, can you bring them to me in your father's chambers? Of course. What do you need? Onamuji told her, and Princess Suseri rushed away. He took a few moments to center himself. Then he strolled into Suzano's rooms, trying his best to look fearless. The rice paper walls were caked with mold and moisture. Dark mushrooms sprouted from the floor. Suzano spread his arms wide in welcome. I am going to bestow on you a great honor. Few men have ever been allowed to get as close to me as you will now. Thank you, sir. I am touched. An apt choice of words. I would like you to pull the lice from my hair. My scalp itches from their incessant biting. Can you help me? Of course. Onamuji heard the wriggling before he could see its source. From a distance, it looked as though the strands of Suzano's long black hair had gained sentience. As he stepped closer, however, he saw small spines poking out. Get a move on. I'm sorry, you said there was only lice on your scalp? No, son. I said that I wanted you to pick the lice out for me. There are all manner of insects on top of my head. I let them feed on dead skin. That is kind of you. I would not be brave enough to let centipedes on my head. I would be too afraid of their venomous bite. Has one ever tried to hurt you? Never. They're happy with what I feed them. Most of the time, I give them my skin. But if they grow too hungry, I feed them visitors. 
The door opened behind both of them. Suseri rushed to Onamuchi's side. In her hands was a tray with tea and a small ceramic bowl. Onamuchi took the bowl from her with a small smile and nodded to her to continue. Suseri Bime came around to face her father. She placed the tea tray in front of him. Wasp and Yokuro, father. Your favorite. I will not have you stalling for him. I wouldn't dream of it, father. Onamuji gazed down at the bowl. A small pile of seeds lay on a bed of wet clay. He palmed some clay and carefully parted a few strands on Suzano's head. He pretended to draw something from the Storm Lord's scalp to his mouth, then shoved the red clay into his mouth, chewing loudly. Mm. Mm. Suzano whipped around in surprise. Onamuji froze, mouth filled with clay. Had Suzano figured out his trick? He had no choice but to press on. Onamuji forced his best smile, the smile he used when his brothers were unkind. Then he swallowed. Mm. Mm. I've never tasted centipede before. It is more earthy than I expected. You ate <laughs> Only a madman would do such a thing. I like madmen. You may go. Really? What about the advice you promised? Oh, that. Well, I'm sure you learned something here. Yes, the test was the lesson. Pretty clever, don't you think? Anyway, I wish you the best against your brothers. Now, get out of here. I could use a nap. Onamuji blinked at him. That couldn't be it, could it? It didn't matter how tricky he was. He had no army, no resources. Whatever very valuable lessons he'd learned weren't enough to beat his brothers. But he could do nothing but bow low and follow Suseri out the door. What was that? I don't know. I don't think anyone's actually beat him before. He doesn't know how to react. So I'm back where I started? Not necessarily. You have your tricks. You have your heart. Don't discount those. Even swordsmanship lessons would have been something. I have no ability with a blade or a bow. I'm helpless. Wait, the problem is you don't know how to slash or shoot? Well, when you put it that way, I... Oh, Onamuji. This will be the easiest puzzle to solve by far. We need only waylay my father, and all will be well. Come, I'll get you some rope. And so Onamuji found himself in front of Suzano's quarters again, trusting Suseri Bime on faith alone. He keeps a sword within his robes that has a mind of its own. A statue could wield it and it would kill. You must take it and bind him in his chambers, in either order. In the meantime, I will get the rest of our supplies. We will need to run. We? Oui. You said I could come with you if I wanted, didn't you? Well, I want to. With that, Suseri disappeared down the corridor. Onamuchi stared after her for a moment, then he turned and quietly opened the door to Suzano's chambers. Onamuchi crept towards the sleeping god of storms. 
He pulled a length of rope from his robe and tied a knot around the rafter that passed through the center of the room. He fastened the other end of the rope to Suzano's hands. The old kami shifted in his sleep. Onamuji held his breath. A moment later, Suzano began to snore again. Relieved, but still quite terrified, Onamuchi gingerly reached into Suzano's robes. His fingertips found cold metal, the hilt. He lifted it slowly, inch by inch. The shining blade stretched out before him, as did the centipede climbing up the blade. Onamuchi's hand shook, but he kept pulling as the large insect rushed towards his hand. The long blade made its way out of the robes and past Susano's sash. Suseri Bime was at his side by the time he finally drew it out. She took the sword from him, twisting it to throw the centipede up before splitting it in half with an elegant slash. She sheathed the sword and took Onamuji's hand. Together, the lovers snuck out of Suzano's room and raced down the hall for the gates of Neno Kuni. No one has ever been brave enough to trick my father. Let's hope that he sleeps soundly for at least a few hours. I may not survive otherwise. If you do not, it has been an honor to help you best him. I'm ready to go. She had a great bow slung on her back, along with a jewel-encrusted zither. The beautiful stringed instrument looked quite out of place in the drab underground world. Suseri caught Onamuji examining it and gave him a self-conscious smile. I've just always liked this, and my father never let me touch it. Won't he be angry? Not as angry as he'll be that I've run away. Why hold back at this point? No sooner had she said it than the zither brushed against a neighboring tree. The sound carried for miles, shaking the ground and neighboring trees. The land of roots quivered around them. The great earthen fortress shivered and shook. Suseri? <laughs> the fortress groaned and shuddered. Then it split in two, sending snakes and insects in all directions. Suzano's cold laugh sounded around them, rising from the fallen earth. Onamuji's heart plummeted. The great trickster Kami would not take kindly to being fooled. But Suzano did not behave as Onamuji expected. Bravo! I've never had such an entertaining visitor. You've earned your prizes. Pursue your brothers with these living weapons. Chase them from your lands. Marry my daughter and build your mighty halls on Ukayama in the great land of Izumo, you scoundrel. And take one more gift from the raging man. Whatever your old name was, they will now know you by something less humble. Oh, Kinanushi, the master of the great land. For that is how they will remember you. <laughs> Suzano's laugh echoed through the land of roots and up into the forest of Izumo. 
carrying Onamuji and Suseri to freedom. Everything transpired just as Suzano said it would, for though he is certainly the Lord of Chaos, sometimes Chaos relishes to see a plan come together. That is the end of this section of the Kojiki, but not the end of Onamuji's story. In later adventures, he would use tools stolen from Suzano, as well as everything he learned in Neno Kuni. And with the Storm Kami's blessing, he would be known forever as Okuninushi, the master of the great land. Okuninushi's tale is just a small part of the Kojiki and the Nihon Shoki, following the line of the first couple all the way to the founding of the Japanese imperial state. This is why some scholars view the Kojiki as a historical text rather than a strictly religious or cultural one. Take Onamuji's birthplace of Izumo. In Japanese legend, it was called the Land of the Gods. Today it is located in Shimani Prefecture and is home to the Izumo Taisha one of Japan's most important Shinto shrines. The shrine is dedicated to Okuninushi as a combination of deity and previous ruler. In later episodes, we'll see how Okuninushi's story transformed legendary Japan and contributed to the founding of its imperial house. But before that, he was merely the humble Onamuchi, a boy with a pure conscience who learned to use his brain as well as his heart. He's a rare archetype, the noble fool and the trickster combined into one character. Unlike many mythological and legendary figures, he radically grows and changes. And that is why Okuninushi remains relevant as a story, a legend, and a kami who has held sway in Japan's Land of the Gods. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Okuninushi, amongst the many sources we used, we found Gustav Helt's translation of the Kojiki to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Lil De Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors include Joe Hernandez, Drew Lawn, Kimlin Tran, and Brian Kim. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson.